Hello, Pivoters. Welcome to Pivoting Out of EDU, your podcast designed to provide you with the inspiration, confidence, and strategies for making a pivot away from campus-based positions in education toward other opportunities. Hosts, Drs. Jamie Hoffman and Tom Stutter pivoted out of campus-based positions and are loving it. Now they are giving back and supporting others doing the same. Hello, and welcome back to Pivoting Out of EDU. I'm Jamie Hoffman. And I'm Tom Stutter. And today we are here with Eric James Stevens, whom I only know as Eric Stevens from LinkedIn, but apparently his middle name is James. I say this because we're on Zoom, so I can see his name displayed. So it's a wonderful to have you here, Eric. I have been observing your similar plight as ours to help folks who are in campus-based positions uh, try to find something different. And I think your story is unique for us because you actually came from a professorship role. Um, I don't know why I said it so like emphasizing the ship, but (laughs) yeah, you came from being a professor and I don't think we've had I guess Melora last season, she was a professor, but she'd also done a bunch of student affairs stuff. So I'm excited to hear more about your journey and what sort of led you to the pivot and also give you a chance to share some of the things you've been doing to help people looking to make changes themselves. So I'm excited to hear. I'm very excited for being here. Um, Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, why don't we just get started by having you share. So you started as a writing and rhetoric professor. So let's all make sure and use good grammar as we're talking. And now you are a business data analyst. So we would love to hear a little bit more about what you did in your campus-based position and what made you look to change? Yeah, I think that I am in the, or I was and am in the position. I think a lot of people are in higher education now. And I love, by the way, that you're using campus-based positions, um, because in most of the circles I'm running in, um, it's all about professors. And they're like the, the student affairs crowd just gets kind of like left out of the conversation. And I'm yeah so excited to actually be like talking to folk that like are acknowledging these things. So this is exciting. But yeah, I, I graduated from Clemson University in 2018 with my doctorate degree in rhetoric, communication, and information design. And from there, I got a um, writing lecturer position at Central Washington State University, where I was being kind of like kicked around um, a couple of different roles and departments for two years up until COVID happened. While the, the positions that I had while I was at Central Washington University, in addition to teaching writing classes, I taught everything from developmental writing. I ran the developmental writing program. I taught first year writing. I taught technical writing, business writing, just kind of like the whole gambit. And I also, like I said, I I was beginning to take over the developmental writing program. um, And then that got absorbed into the English department. And so I started taking over the academic coaching program. And so I kind of got to play in a little bit of both the staff position and those teaching positions. And so that was a lot of fun for me, but really the the driving reason for me to look for something else, or at least to look for a new job, uh, not necessarily outside of edu- or higher education, was COVID. I was kind of doing some advocacy work at the university that I don't think was really you know being appreciated a whole lot. And I think that COVID was more of a 
okay, here's, here's a great time to let this person go. Uh, while we were in the middle of the move after the, after the fact though, um, my wife, she also got laid off from her teaching position as well. And so, yeah, we were just there just kind of not really knowing what to do because of COVID. So Eric, you missed something though, right? Like you are also doing this really cool thing where you're helping academics transition. So I'd like to know a little bit more about that piece too, because I think you mentioned, well, not, I think you mentioned when you did your sort of opening was that for better, or for worse, like either these podcasts or conversations either focus on academics or they focus on student affairs. And quite frankly, we will have a lot of student affairs. People listen to this podcast because that's the realm that we sort of played in, but I'm interested in that aspect. Like I know you went to, to go be a business data analyst and we're going to get to that, but I really want to know sort of like what inspired you to help other academics sort of figure out a way to move out of quote unquote higher education. I'll preface this story. I think with this, with this, that, and I've said this a couple of times. Um, I think that leaving religion is akin to leaving a religion. It's a difficult experience. Like you're, you're raised in this, in a cultural environment um, that has a different set of value system and different language. And it's really, it's, it's all encompassing. When I was facing the, the job market again for the millionth time, because I've just been looking at the job market, you know, since I got into grad school and before that, it was hard. Um, I, I was sad. Um, I got really depressed. I thought that I had finally, you know, made it. Um, I, I had I had the job. I was I was. We were looking for a house. Uh, we were doing all these things. We were, we were about to have our our third child. We did have our third baby in the middle of all this. We got laid off. It it, it was hard. To give give you context, March 2020, um, my wife was eight months pregnant and our lease was up. Our landlord they wouldn't let us stay where we were. Or like we we didn't know what was going to happen in in Washington um, with my job. And so we just needed a short-term lease or an extension of a lease. We found a great person. He gave us a two-month lease. We moved in that home. We had a baby in that home, home birth, because, you know, it's the height of the pandemic um, and nobody knew what was happening. And we put everything that we owned into a storage unit in Washington state. And then we, we did, we did, I didn't get a, a job renewed. Like I was told very explicitly, you're not coming back. And so we, we moved to my parents' basement in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, with my wife and two kids and, and or three kids and one was six weeks old. I felt like my entire world had just been pulled from me. I was literally in my childhood bedroom that my parents had turned into a storage unit that I had turned into a makeshift office. I didn't know what to do. And it was hard. And in the middle of all of that, I'd recognized two things. One is that I was not alone. I felt alone. I felt abandoned, but I wasn't. And two, I had, if I wanted to make a pivot into industry, because I was applying to jobs that were literally disappearing. Like I applied to a job and the next day it was gone. And like they said, like, we're just, we don't have this anymore. And so I knew that I had to do something for like, for, for what, like for my own, honestly, sanity. Um, I made a post about this. But I haven't really ever talked about it about calling a suicide hotline, it was a dark time. And I am the type of person that I just, I have to, I have to do something, I have to help. I have to, I have to, I, at my core, like I studied ethics, I'm an ethicist. I believe 
to my core existentially that we exist in order to help each other. That's why we are here is in order to help people. And so I started higher, higher ed. I thought I was being extremely clever because it was very alliterative and funny. And I set the day for June 8th. It was national best friends day. And I said, Hey, for an hour, no matter where you are on LinkedIn, just go to LinkedIn and get and connect because that's where you're going to get a job. Um, so no matter how you do it, go and engage on LinkedIn. And I had everything planned out and I was being all like fun with my marketing because for me, I had to show people what I was doing. I had to show people what I was capable of. And so I was making deliverables. Like, and that's like, if there's, if there's a core message for anybody right now who's listening to this, who's like going on LinkedIn, doesn't know what to do. That is the, that's the takeaway. Create, create something, create deliverables, create videos, do something to show people that you are capable of doing great things. Because the premise that I was operating on is now's the time to hire talent. There's great talent coming out of higher ed and it's cheap. It's never been appreciated. You'd be amazed what you can do to show these people appreciation. Yeah. I mean, Eric, first of all, let me just say thank you for the vulnerability there. I, uh, I think both Jamie and I, both for our listeners at home, uh, we are recording this on Zoom so we can see the facial expressions. And, and I think both Jamie and I both shared a moment of like, oh my goodness. And so I, I want to say thank you for that because I recognize that, first of all, you've just met us. Um, and secondly, you're sort of opening yourself up to listeners that that you don't know. And, and I know that that's difficult. So I really appreciate it because I think that that will resonate, not just your vulnerability, but your story. You know, while, while I don't know how many listeners out there, maybe we're having a third child in a sort of a temporary, temporary housing environment. You know, I do know that there's a lot of folks that the pandemic really sort of for lack of a better term, and this isn't the right word, rearrange their lives. And um, hearing that that's something that happened and normalizing that, I think is really, really important for our listeners. And, and, and I, I just wanted to say thank you for that uh, because I recognize that that opening yourself up is, is not always easy. I'm curious though, like how you took that, that experience and also how you sort of then created this higher, higher ed, which I wish we would have thought of that for our podcast name, just so we're clear, and turn that into this complete pivot out of the academic environment into you know, a role that really focuses on business data at a company that's very well known. Like when I I, I know where you work and I'm, I've heard of that company before. And so I'm just curious, like how that all sort of happened. Was it just a matter of circumstance? Was it a matter of need or or did did the the sort of the LinkedIn process that you used help you get to the point where you are now? I will answer that. I will I appreciate those kinds of words. Like thank you. I I will answer that by saying that a key word that you used, right, was the word resonate. And I I knew like I had a story that resonated with people. It was, it was, a, I, I was living the story that people didn't want to live. Keep in mind that my, my, my doctorate degree is rhetoric. Like my specialty is persuasion. Like I was the kid in fourth grade selling beaded lizards and cinnamon toothpicks. Right. And then I went and got a PhD and talking to people. And so I had been, I'd been teaching my students about how to create a marketing campaign. Like I'd been doing, I'd been teaching them, but like when you, and this is the other piece of advice, right? This is the, the advice I'd give to my writing students show, don't tell, don't tell people you're a great person that can do something, show people that you can do that. And so 
to, I think I'm bringing this all back to the to that original question, like where it came from, but I, I knew that I had to create something. And so it, I think to answer your question, Tom, I set that day for June 8th. I wanted everybody to connect, right? Black Lives Matter erupts across the country. I postponed the event in order to support into it. Like I wanted to like see what I could do as I was creating this platform. Cause that's something like it's wrong with my dissertation research that we could go into another day. I, I wanted to create platforms. Like I, I didn't want to establish my own voice, but create a platform for other voices. And so I said, okay, I'm going to put everything on pause. I'm going to say August, August 4th and 5th, I'm going to, I'm going to throw an event. And I thought if I'm a, if I'm a career coach and I'm savvy and I see this really clever hashtag, higher, higher ed, I'm going to say, Hey, I'm going to do an event on that day too. And I'm going to attach my brand to that. And so I jumped out ahead of that. And I started contacting career coaches and I said, Hey, how would you like to do an event with me? I'll promote you. You promote me. It's just, you just do the same thing you're doing all the time. Just do it on this day, a part of this thing, and we'll organize it. And over two months, and this is the second thing that I would recommend people do, informational interviews. I talked with dozens of people. In two months, I talked with over 100 individual people. From that, in two months, for less than 250 bucks, I organized a two-day conference with 280 registered attendees, 50 speakers, 19 workshops, and I moderated and live-streamed nine panels to three different social media platforms. Why? I couldn't be alone anymore. I had to create something where I was in an environment, a community. I had to build a community. Two, I had to show people what I was capable of doing. When you hire me, Google hashtag hire higher ed. That's who you get. Right. The way that I got the job that I did, I, w- I had not set out to get any one particular job. I was setting out to just create. It was a very manic approach to doing things and a very panicked way of doing it. Um, I was owning the mistakes that I was like, I was consistently making typos on things. But after that two day event, I decided to keep going and I, I did like a, a, a live um, series of discussions. And that's how I got my job. I reached out to the CEO of this ed tech company. And I said, Hey, would you like to be on a panel? If you, you mean you own an ed tech company, if you're hiring academics, and if you're smart, you're going to be hiring cheap talent. What do you want to see from these people? Right. And so I sent him a LinkedIn message and his first response was, I'm sorry, I don't connect with recruiters. And I said, Oh, that's great. I'm an unemployed academic. And he's like, oh, okay. And so like, we like exchanged a few messages right back and forth. And, and then he's like, and I was like pushing for a meeting. I was like, Hey, like, how about we talk? And he said, ah, you know, not, I'll call you. And so I gave him my cell phone number. This, the other thing, one of the goals that you have during an informational interview is be memorable. Like you want to be authentic, you want to make a connection, but you want to be memorable because two weeks later, when I'm sitting there with, um, about 45 minutes before my, one of my live sessions is going to start, I get a text message from this guy. And he's like, Hey, can you, can you talk? I was like, well, I'm about to jump on this thing, but I'm grateful for this. He's like, yeah, I got 15 minutes. I'll get to the point. First thing he says to me, right. He says I was sitting at work. I was sitting at my desk and there's a pile of work on my desk and I didn't want to do it. So I was sitting on my deck and I thought of you. So I called you. That's the goal. That, that's the goal of the informational interview. Is there someone who can make a decision to remember you and to call you? The second thing he said is, here's why I wouldn't hire anybody with a PhD. And he gave me all the list of the reasons about why you wouldn't hire someone with a PhD. And honestly, if we're being, if we're being honest, 
those are probably all the same reasons that we want to leave academia, right? There's a reason academia is toxic people, right? Um, and that, and others recognize that. And so I told him and me doctorate degree in rhetoric. I said, you know, I, I don't disagree with you. I'm not going to disagree with you, but you're talking about pre COVID COVID happened. That's changed everything. Chronicle of higher education estimated a, what is a, a, a 14% loss of jobs, 10 to 15% loss of jobs, 440,000 jobs that have been lost during COVID or something like that. What is happening right now is that you have people who don't want to leave education who are being forced out. They have to leave. You have people like me who don't, I, I love, I, I would be in the classroom forever if I could, but I can't. So now I'm here. Um, and I said, I don't know what it is you do at your company. You give me three months. I'll be one of your best employees that you have. He said, really? I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay. And then we ended the phone call. And then three days later, as I'm burning myself on pizza, um, as I'm getting out of the oven uh, for my kids, um, I get another text <laughs> from him. And he said, hey, I have an idea. Do you have a minute for a call? And I said, yeah. And so he starts talking to me and he's like, you know how to do Tableau or SQL? I was like, no. He's like, ah, you can learn that pretty quick. Um, and he's like, talking about these other things. He's like, you know, about data analytics and blah, blah, blah. I was like, it's like, do you know what it is we do at our company? And I was like, are you offering me a job right now? He's like, ah, well, yeah, like we, we have something in the works here. And like two weeks later, I had an interview. Two weeks after that, I was moving my family to Tulsa. Wow. Pivoting out of EDU, we'll be right back after this quick message. Coaching Through It is a podcast hosted by myself, Laura Pasquini, and Julie Larson. We're two former higher education professionals who made the jump to corporate life and now are learning what professional coaching is all about. Coaching Through It will offer you and explain what coaching actually is and how it might help your pivot out of EDU and support your career transition. We'll be digging into coaching tools, techniques, and resources that we find useful. Not only will you get these tools, but you'll find out what's useful for you and where you're at in your career. We're both career coaches and support transitions and pivots. And we have a number of other coaches you might want to learn from as we feature them on interviews on the pod. And let's get real. We've been friends for over a decade, so you might just hear an episode or two of us coaching one another. And a bit of real talk of what it's like to be in the world of work and how transitions and pivots happen today. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts as we'll be coaching through it. And now back to the show. Tulsa, that's a big change. Well, you know, one thing I wanted to highlight, I, I mean, I agree with, with Tom with regard to like, thank you for sharing because people, there's been a lot of people who have been through like really dark times. And what I picked up on was you were, you made a comment about I wrote it down. It's like leaving a religion. And it really is. I mean, I, I, well, I should clarify, I'm not a super religious person, Thomas, so he probably could comment more, but it's not just a matter of not being able to pay your bills. It's also about how you have thought about yourself and those around you for so long. We've talked about how people's identities are wrapped up in being a higher ed person. So I, I think, you know, that that will resonate with people as well. And with that, I'm wondering, so you find yourself now not in a, a higher ed position. And yet you mentioned, like, if you could be, you would love to be you know, teaching still. So I'm curious, sort of. For your position, you know, what are the things that you're finding that you do like really enjoy in this position you're in now outside of higher ed? And then 
you know, what do you miss and what do you see that you might do in the future? I think that's a great question. And I think it's important to recognize that I was saying that in that conversation when I was trying to be persuasive and trying to land a job with this dude, right? Because here, like, here's, here's something that, that I have learned from this whole experience. One, I did not know how happy and fulfilled I could be in a job outside of academia. I mean, I just thought academia was it for me. I just, I I love, I I love it. I really do. Yeah. The second thing I learned was how unhappy I was in higher education. Yeah. I think if someone were to come to me, it's like, Hey, here's a full professor job. Like here's like, here's your dream job. Like here it is. Will you take it? And I, 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 no, hell no, no way. And the reason is because that, like we were, we were raised in that value system, like that like academia, like that, it, that's it. Like it's the epitome of all that is good and all that is like you, that you should be your passion. And that's just, that's just not true. I mean, just think about like, if you're, if you're looking to do passionate work, right. Look at ed tech, you could not do your jobs effectively without a piece of technology that you love, find a piece that you love, and then go try to find a job there that you can go and, and do. The job that I do, data analysis, it's, I love it. I really, really love data and the, and the type of work that I'm doing with data. The, my dissertation research essentially at its core was the ethical use of big data. It's very theoretical, but that's what it was. That led me up to like why I fit in an analytics position. But what I can do with the data is the value of an academic, right? Is that you can tell a story. You can take all of this complicated information and you can synthesize it really, really quickly. And then you can make meaning out of it. And I love doing that. And especially at the the company where I work and I'll say it's, it's, it's gaggle. I love the work that I do there. We, we save lives. Like we use artificial intelligence to save the lives of kids. I don't think I could do the work that I, that I do if we were not taking the data that we were using and using it for good. The type of data that we tap is like incredibly valuable to like so many different entities. And he's been trying to be bought out before, um, but he said, no, I want to find kids who are writing suicide notes and get them help. One of the projects that I worked on this summer was our, algor- our algorithms. We cover 5.2 million kids. Um, and we found over 400 suicide notes. And I went through and I read 400 suicide notes written by K-12 kids. But then I was able to say, we can take the logic of my dissertation research and apply it to this data set and begin to create new meaning. And that's what I'm able to do. I, I, a couple of weeks after I got my job, I was talking with the CEO of the company said, how are things going? And I, you know, I was like, I was like, I can't believe the kind of data that you've collected because I'm a researcher. Like, this is amazing. And he's like, ah, you know me data. Like, and like the guy, like he's bootstrapped a $26 million company. Right. I mean, he can follow his gut and he says like data reinforces my gut. And I said, let me tell you the story. And I told him a story about some of the data and like how we can use this data to, to create a compelling narrative. And he was kind of silent for a second. He said, that's, I've never thought about my company that way before. They've been around since 1999, right? Yeah. And that's, and that's, I loved teaching persuasion and writing. And now I get to do persuasion, but with data. And it's just so much fun for me. 
That's awesome. And, and what I, what I think you've highlighted too, is just how, and I've experienced this in my own, my own, you know, work history is just, there are things that folks from higher ed bring to corporate spaces that is missing. But I also have found that like colleagues I work with, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's, that's why it's good to have had folks with a business degree, you know, just bringing the two groups together can really make a powerful experience. And that doesn't always happen. And, you know, and I, I will also say too, Tom and I, I think can both resonate with your, your point where in the beginning, like you identify yourself so much to this pathway that like for me, even my first six months out, I was like, okay, this is probably just like a pathway to the next campus-based position. And now, I mean, you you made the mental transition faster than I did, I think. But, you know, now, it, I mean, I would never, I never say never, but it would be very, very difficult for me to imagine going back to work uh, in a campus-based position because you do realize all of the, the very many benefits that you glean from um from not, you know, being in those positions. So I, I, know I find it, Tom, go ahead. I find it really interesting because Eric, like you've, you've literally I, I hit on all of the things that I think are reasons why people want to leave, potentially reasons why people might want to stay or feel connected to, but also the importance of sort of the joining of forces. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I'm trying to live what I, what I talk about on this podcast and I've hired probably 10 former higher ed folks who are trying to pivot out at my company now. And, and it's so interesting because all of them have been successful, just like anybody from, you know, the other walks of life that we've hired have been successful. But what's, what's really, I think made our department stronger is that we have people that know how to tell a story, take the data and know how to tell the story, sell the data, uh, teach the data. And what I find really interesting is, is skills are skills are skills are skills, right? Like when I'm hiring somebody who knows how to, I oversee customer training, right? And so when I'm going out trying to find people who do training, the best source of people who know how to do training are former teachers, right? Whether they're K through 12 or, or folks who worked in higher education, either in the faculty or the student affairs side of the house. And they bring, they bring that skill with them just in a different environment. And so it's been really fascinating to sort of watch that, that marriage of skills that both you and Jamie have talked about and the importance of connecting all of those skills together. And one of the things I talk about a lot when I do consult consults is it's not necessarily about the transfer of skills. It's the translation of those skills. I got so tired of people talking to me about like, I don't know how to make sure my resume shows that I can train my skills are transferable. I was like, everything is transferable. Now it's how you talk about it. And so you know, I I don't want to I don't want to belabor the point, but I am curious because data analysis and professor of rhetoric are sort of really like if if I'm not really paying attention, I don't necessarily put the two together. And so I'm curious, just you know, quickly, how did you translate those skills when you were talking talking to you know the the folks at Gaggle? How did you make them understand that? a writing and rhetoric professor had the necessary and requisite skills to do data analysis beyond sort of the storytelling aspect of it. Honestly, it, I love that you're focusing on translation because I also love that bend. And I loved, like I did like a translate academia hashtag this summer and it was a lot of fun. Um, so I'll say that I don't recommend people do what I did. Right. I was not setting out to become a data analyst. I, that 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 data analyst position came to me 
And I thought it was a good fit and I loved it. And I loved the mission behind what they were doing. And then during the interview process, um, I was able to talk about like my, my dissertation program was, was very interdisciplinary, right? Like, so like that idea, like that keyword interdisciplinary is hot right now in education. How does that translate to, to industry is cross-functional teams and multi-dimensional goals, right? We like the higher ed campus is a complex place, right? Like you can go in and like, and so I went in, it's like, I know how to talk to stakeholders. I know how to identify what they need and I know how to give them what they need. And if you want me to do that with data, I can do that. They hired me, not like, I did not know what SQL was until two days after I was hired, like until I had the job and, and the idea. And they said, it's like, they set out, it's like, okay, you know, here's your, here's your 12 month learning path. Like here, like we're like, we're going to, we're going to trust you. You said that you could, and I, by the way, I don't claim to be their best employee after three months, but they gave me 12 months worth of learning goals, accomplished those goals in five months. And they gave me a raise and a promotion. Show, don't tell. Show, don't tell. Right. I didn't, you can make the translation argument as much as you want on your resume. Right. But if there is nothing in your LinkedIn profile to back up that translation, then they're not going to believe you. The, the way that I had made that argument to, to say, like, here's how being a writing professor translates into data analytics is by someone thinking, I need to find someone who's good for this role. Who can I find? And they found me because I had already put in all that effort of translation work. Let the, let the, you need to create content and let that content translate your value. That's what you have to do. And then you, when they, when they ask about it, you don't have to come up with some convoluted response. You can just point to something and be like, that's what I can do. That is um, fantastic. And definitely, you know, I know that's something I've tried to do a lot of, which is, I guess, part of why I have a somewhat of a social media presence um, years ago, I had uh, was advised to like create a professional identity. So that's when I created my website. Um, and now I've just kind of kept up on it. But I do think that the show don't tell is a really important value. So um, in wrapping up, because we've learned so much um, about you, as well as you've just embedded some great uh, persuasive lessons to people. Are there any like last nuggets of advice you would want to offer to folks? Yes. There, there's one that I, that I think is important because we're talking about translation. We're talking about value and we're talking about all these different things with communication. And this goes back to my, the, the, what I started out with, right? That it's akin to leaving a religion. Academia has a different value system than industry. In academia, your value is determined, right? Um, and this is, I think, more for the, for the teaching bend, right? But like, it's on like the publication. Like it's, it's like, there's, there's so, like, so much of what we're required to do in academia, you are required, you're expected to do for free with a smile with zero appreciation. People in industry know that the things that you're doing have value, but they don't get it. The problem is not trying to convince them of your value system. The problem is you changing the way you talk about yourself to match their value system, right? So go, and the way that you do that, the way you figure it out and bridge that gap is those informational interviews. Go and talk to people and have the question, this question, how does someone like me fit into a world like yours? And take notes. Yeah, Eric, that's, 
That is brilliant advice. And uh, the way you phrased it, just so you know, I'm probably going to steal it for any consult that I have in the future. I, I, I think that the advice that you're giving will resonate with the folks who are listening to this podcast and who are either in the middle of a pivot or in the process of thinking about doing a pivot. I can't tell you how many times that I have that conversation with individuals about, you know, it's not about it's not about what you bring to the table. It's about what you can show what you have done in the past that you bring to the table. It's not about just saying, I can do events or I can do data or I can do analysis or I can do customer success. It's about showing how you've done that in, in your previous world and the results. You know, I talk a lot about the higher ed resume or CV is often responsibility driven and the corporate resume is results driven. And what you said there, I think is, is a really, you know, sort of puts a sort of a fine tip on the advice that we would have uh, for anybody listening out there today, that as you think about your pivot or potentially going through a pivot process, it really is about show, don't tell. I really appreciate that. Um, Eric, I can't tell you how thankful we are to have you uh, have had you on this episode. The advice that you've given, the stories that you've shared, um, both personal and professional, I, I think will resonate quite well with, with our listener base. And so thank you so much for joining us. Uh, really appreciate it. For all of our listeners out there, don't forget to visit our website at www.pivotingoutofedu.com where you can find blog articles and resources available to you. You can also touch base with both uh, myself as well as Jamie for potential consult opportunities. And if you need to reach out to us directly, you can do that at pivotingoutofedu at gmail.com. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for listening to Pivoting Out of EDU. For show notes and more information about the podcast, visit pivotingoutofedu.com. If you're thinking about pursuing an opportunity outside of your campus-based position or know someone who is, Visit our website for advice and resources and learn Jamie and Tom's private consultations offered to support you in your journey. If you think this podcast was awesome, please consider giving us a five-star rating.